Welcome back to KafaroCast, everyone. We are a couple of days ahead of Christmas here, and I've got David D. Austin across from me on the mic, and we have a very special friend of his. Um, Go ahead and announce him, David. What's up, everybody? Uh, Joining us today is Frank Young, a good friend of mine, uh, a.k.a. brother from another mother, and he uh, resides in Utah. And, uh, uh, yeah, Frank, Frank's a great guy. Say hello to everybody. How you doing, guys? Uh, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Um, look forward to talking about some of my hunts and some other stuff that I do, so I appreciate it. <sighs> yeah, sorry about that. Oh, yeah. I'm, uh, I shouldn't be allowed to mess with this thing, but yeah, cool, man. Yeah. We appreciate you having on, uh, David said nothing, like I was saying earlier, David said nothing but good stuff to say about you. And he said that you had a, uh, pretty exciting bison hunt, um, not, not too terribly long ago. And that ended up being the, uh, the Utah state record. Is that right? Yeah, correct. For archery. Uh, that was quite the hunt. Dave was there with me actually. And, uh, that was uh, one of my once-in-a-lifetime hunts for Utah that you get to put in for. I think I'd put in for 23 years. I guess I always wanted to shoot a bison since I was a kid. Uh, I went with my father, who drew a Henry's tag about 27 years ago. Wow. And uh, that was something pretty spectacular to watch, was, you know, me being younger. And I thought, man, I'd love to do that, so I started putting in. Little did I know, you know, fast forward 20 years, I wish those points were for sheep, but... <laughs> What do you do? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> did you uh did you expect to draw the tag when you when you drew it or was it still a bit of a surprise? I knew that if I switched from the Henry Mountains to the Book Cliffs that I would probably draw. So I was pretty much expecting the tag. Okay. Yeah, what are what were the percentages uh of drawing that? Percentage of drawing it for a normal person, you know, with not any points or just in the general draw would be I mean, one in thousands. Wow. I think they issue maybe 10, 20 tags a year, something like that. Not very many. In Utah, there's three different places you can hunt bison that are wild herds. Uh, the first place, Antelope Island, that place is a little different and kind of more controlled. Um, and then you have the Henry Mountains and the Book Cliffs. And this is a an any weapon hunt, but they give you a season date, right? Correct. It's an any weapon hunt. Um, rifle, whatever. I mean, everyone uses a rifle mostly. And the hunt for the book cliff is really long because it can be a really tough hunt. It's mostly a migrational hunt when the bison move off the Indian land way up high. So they let you hunt from September to January, if I remember right, in hopes they migrate down. Uh, with that being said, I knew it was going to be tough finding anything early in the season. So I spent a lot of time in the summer uh, going all over the book cliff and even the areas that weren't open before, like across the river. And uh, it took probably five trips before I found an actual bison out there. And uh, once I found them, the resident herds, which I was really lucky to find, I kind of stuck in that er- area and hunted those. Uh, that year... I think there was maybe 10 tags, and only me and one other guy harvested that year. Wow. And the other eight guys, I guess, cried and complained that they didn't see any bison. And the DWR actually gave them all tags again the next year, <laughs> which kind of blew me away. 
Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure there were quite a few people that were waiting to draw that tag for the first time that were, weren't too happy about that. Did did uh, that cause a big controversy, do you know, or did you hear any feedback yeah, on that? Yeah, it was, it, it was definitely controversy, but it was really quiet. Nobody talked about it, and it wasn't, you know, it was kind of hush-hush, I think, because DWR knew people wouldn't be happy about it. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. I talked to... Yeah, I talked to a few hunters, too, and they said they all saw bison, but, you know, just not a big bull. Well, you snooze, you lose, you know, or you don't do your homework, you lose, too. So I was just fortunate. I did my homework and found the resident herds and was able to kill a giant bull that ended up being the state record, and it was, I was really blessed with that. So most guys hunt with a rifle. What made you decide to do it with a bow? Well, I'm primarily a bow hunter. I rarely use the rifle. I like to rifle hunt. You know, it's fun for a cow tag or any tag, really, but something about bow hunting, uh, how intimate you are with the land, the animals, everything, is just so much more for me. For me, I would rather take one with a bow or not, not take one at all. Mm-hmm. I did have my gun with me just in case I needed it, and we actually almost used it at one point. Dave probably remembers. I was trying so hard to talk you into shooting that bison with that with that rifle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you were. Uh, yep. Oh, I'm glad we waited. I am too. Yeah. So, how how many days did you spend going after those things? I bet I put in probably twenty two, twenty four days is my guess. That's with earlier in the season, you know, going three days at a time searching and stuff like that. I I even went down to the mouth of, I think, where you put in for Cataract Canyon or Desolation Canyon, I think, the rafters, and uh, talked to a guy down there, and he'd been deer hunting down there for since he was a kid. Very few deer, but he says some of them are big. But he actually ran into a giant bull there four days before. So I hung out there for a, a week or so, but never found them again. They're just them lone bulls that get kicked out of the herd. But that's kind of what I was after. And so I don't, I don't know if most listeners understand is like, so bison, the, the herd dynamic is the herd bull will get kicked out once it gets a little bit older and it can't fight off the younger bulls. Uh, a new bull will become uh, dominant, and then the herd bull will spend the rest of its life kind of solitary. on the outskirts of the herd and, and solitary and just kind of following the herd around, um, but staying far enough Correct. away. Yeah. Um, the other thing is uh, bison, are they're hard to hunt. Uh, these are not domestic animals. These are These are wild. They... You get, you know, within a couple hundred yards and they're gone. Once they smell you or see you, they're gone. Yeah, the wind, um, the wind, they really don't like your smell. They sometimes will have a couple hundred yard, like, comfort zone if they can see you. Um, but it's pretty rare, at least in my, in my hunt. That's how it was. Mm-hmm. They're definitely not Yellowstone bison. You can't walk right up to them. And it's, it's not an easy task, for sure. So, uh, this bull, I was, I happened to be on the hunt with Frank uh, when he did kill this giant bison. Uh, can you tell us kind of how everything went down? I, it was, it was really funny how all of it happened just like in a split second, and you just like nailed this thing. Tell us, <laughs> tell us about that. Yeah, it was, uh, it was pretty quick. Well, uh, you and I, we had found that bull two days before actually, and I put a stock on that bull. I think I got within about 20 yards, and I was having a hard time seeing him. The wind, you know, switched. I felt it at my back, and I see a dust cloud after that. That was it. They were gone. Uh, I didn't know how big he was yet, 
but I knew he was pretty long and pretty heavy, which was good enough for me. That's what she said. So, fast forward. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just kidding. Go ahead. About the girth. <laughs> so, fast forward a couple of days, uh, I don't think we'd seen anything. And now it was afternoon, probably, what, 2 o'clock? And uh, that's when we're like, let's head back up north 50 miles and see if we could find some. As we're heading out of camp, going up the highway, I'm constantly looking off to the side because that's where I usually see the bison. And sure enough, I seen two way out there. So hit the brake, threw up the binos. I looked at Dave. I was like, that's him. He's going to the water hole. Previously, a couple weeks before, there was I found a water hole there. Uh, my good buddy Tyler Gold told me about. And uh, I went and set up basically just a bunch of brush and kind of made a little blind there. I have a real hard time sitting in a blind. I'm not a blind hunter. I don't have the patience. Um, but I knew that was probably going to be my best bet. So what I did with that blind was I would hunt within a few miles of it. And any time I saw a bison heading that direction, I was fairly certain that's where they were heading. So fast forward to this day down the highway. And uh, sure enough, those two were probably heading to the water hole. So I looked at Dave. I'm like, well, let's go. And I just punched it. I parked my truck. Dave's looking at me like, what are we doing? I didn't, I couldn't even tell him. I just, said, <laughs> I don't know. I'm to the blind. So set up. So it was a mad rush to the blind. Uh, get there, get set up. I do a couple of ranges and I look back and Dave's kind of meandering through the bushes trying to find a place to set up. It was mostly sagebrush. There wasn't much there. <laughs> so he, Dave finds this one three-foot-tall sagebrush and just curls up underneath it and starts filming. Um, I looked back to see where the bison were, and they were already maybe 100 yards away coming across the flat. And I was like, wow, that was quick. This is going to happen, like, right now. So uh, out of arrow knock, ready to go. The, the bull came over the hill first and kind of stopped quartering towards me. It was probably 45 yards. And then the cow came over. And then he kind of noticed the blind, but he wasn't sure. He couldn't tell if I was in there or what it was. He just kind of was looking at it. And then we had, I don't know, a standoff, basically. And I was at full draw. So now I'm going about a minute into the standoff at full draw, and I'm like, please just walk. I didn't want a chance taking that front quarter shot. I was shooting real high pounds with my prime, too. I just, I didn't dare. Luckily, he started walking, and uh, I think it was 45 yards I released. And it went in a little back, but the shot looked pretty good. I think he ran to 115 yards or so. And I look back at Dave, and he's giving me the fist pump. And I'm like, fist pump? Great. That thing doesn't act like he's hit. <laughs> yeah, reload, <laughs> reload. Yeah. It's like he got bit by a fly. That was it. He just twitched. I'm like, wow. He's like, I put another arrow in, and I dropped my slider down to 115 or whatever it was. And I put a mechanical on. I always have a mechanical in my quiver along with my solid broadheads for when I'm hunting elk or bigger animals. Um, the first shot was with my solid broadhead, and uh, my second one I put on that mechanical. So I let that go at 115, and it was like perfect shot. Didn't come through, watched the whole thing, sink right behind the shoulder, and it was actually a pass through. I looked back at Dave that time, and he's really pumping the fist, like, yeah, we got him now. And I'm like, no way, this is just happening. There's no way. 
well, he's still standing like he didn't get hit. I'm like, okay. And I don't, what were you thinking, Dave, at that point? I was like, my God, this thing can take arrows like no one else. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think I was waving for you to try and get in there closer too and just keep shooting until he's yeah. down. <laughs> exactly. I think that's when I like, okay, I'm taking my shoes off. I'm going to sneak down to the bottom of the water hole, come up the other side and try to put another one in him because he was almost in the same spot. He only moved maybe 20 yards. So I sneak down there. I'm coming over the other end. What's crazy is, you know, you get bug fever or whatever you want to call it, you know, where you can't shoot. You're shaking. It's insane. I didn't get that in the beginning, not the first two shots. It happened so quick. There was no time to even be nervous, and I was fortunate for that because I didn't mess up. Uh, but the third shot, that's when I was, like, you know, sneaking down there with no shoes, come over the hill. There he is at 85 yards. And now I'm like breathing so heavy. I was like, this is crazy. I can't believe this is, this animal's so big. And he's got two arrows and he's like, then probably what, five minutes maybe, if that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Somewhere like there. So third shot is like 80 yards and another perfect one right behind the shoulder, uh, buried all the way in him. And that time he took off. He was gone. I remember when he, when he took that arrow, he kicked the cow in the face with his back hoof. Yep. Oh man! Yeah, he he did a hard kick and hit that cow. The cow's looking at him like, "What?" But yeah, they booked it. They were gone. So now we're kind of like, "All right, well, let's regroup." I think we just ran back to camp and got all of our stuff together, let him expire, and wanted to give him a couple hours at least. And we came back and I think we followed blood for maybe 250 yards, and it just dried up. And then we're looking across the sagebrush flat that's maybe half a mile wide and deep. And then it's solid junipers and cedars after that. And we couldn't find him anywhere. We're getting pretty nervous. And maybe an hour later, Dave spotted, which we thought was the bull. And uh, we're like, okay, it's laying down. It's right on the edge. There's no way to get close to it. Um, let's, like, maybe wait it out. Well, it's almost getting dark. We're like, well, what do we do? Dave's like, get out your gun and shoot it. Put it down. Shoot that damn thing. Yeah. <laughs> Kill the thing. Just put it down. And I'm like... Ah, oh, man, I'm like, that ruins the whole bow thing. It's like, I, I, I couldn't do it, but I, I kind of needed to. I got, pulled up my rifle, I put one in the chamber, um, and it was probably 600 yards, dialed in, and something didn't feel right at all. I, and I, I told Dave, something's not right. And uh, so I put the gun down and pulled out the spotter again, and we looked, and I walked a little bit higher on the hill, and uh, it was a good thing we waited. The bull was laying down about 20 yards to the left, and we were looking at the cow. Wow. So that could have went terribly wrong, but we had patience and waited and made sure it was the right one. And we ended up having to sit until it was dark, and the thing was still breathing, three arrows in the vitals, and it had been over three hours, four hours. And right then the coyotes light up maybe 200 yards from us, and we're like, great. I don't think I'm going to be sleeping tonight. <laughs> it's going to be a long night. What do we do, Dave? Went back to camp, cracked open a beer, and tried to relax and didn't know what was going to happen. We didn't know if he was going to be there or not the next morning. Yeah, it's hard to celebrate when you don't know if they're going to take off and wander away or what. Yeah, uh, and I think we played it right. I did the risk of trying to go in straight on him and getting a shot and him taking off in the cedars and losing him, it was, we had to let him sit. Luckily, it was November, super cold. Um, so fast forward the next morning, it was barely light. 
we got out super early. Uh, I had a feeling he would be there, but you never know. And, uh, of course, I went, like, running up to the spot to glass. I threw my glass up, and sure enough, he was in the same spot, and he was down. So we had some good high fives, super stoked, and uh, we finally get over the bison, and that's when I looked at the thing and was just, like, blown away. Uh, the, the sheer size, just the body size. It, you forget about even just the horns, but the body size of the animals are unbelievable. Uh, when it takes two grown men everything they got just to try to roll the thing over for a picture, you know, you have something pretty spectacular. Well, you walked up and you were probably like, uh, that's a huge bitch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, man. For, uh, the amazing part about bison to me is, um, like listening to old, listening to books of like native Americans and stuff. And I think Joe Rogan talks about this quite often. The, that book, uh, empire of the summer moon, the Comanche Indians yeah. hunting, uh, hunting bison and just imagining the equipment that they're using primitive, um, you know, spears and, uh, I guess it'd be a longbow of some sort, um, with flint tipped, flint tipped arrows, just thinking about how many arrows and, uh, they, you would have to put into a bison just to, just to take one down. And then a, a spear as well. It's, it's really amazing. And it's, uh, it's, it's cool to think that, uh, you, uh, you were able to, to get it done much like they were with, with a bit more modern equipment, but still still the same. You know, you were able to, to take one down with the bow, uh, a wild bison as well, which is, which is, it's awesome to, to hear the story. Yeah. Um, what, uh, what was your arrow build on that? Um, did you, did you use your normal elk arrow or did you, uh, yep. did you amp I it did, up a bit? I used my normal arrow, yeah. Um, I think my total weight was, it wasn't that heavy for them. It was only 420-ish, if I remember right. Is that sound right, Dave? I can't remember. 420 grains yeah. with the broadhead. Yeah, it was. Um, 420 grains with the broadhead, and yeah, it, it's not that heavy. Um, I think I had my bow up to 80 pounds, and uh, that definitely helps. But that, I guess that's, you bring that up with like the native, you know, the Indians, that's kind of a big reason why I wanted to use my bow too. There's so much, you know, history with bows and bison and just all of that that it just really intrigued me and I wanted to I wanted to do that. And that was one of my big reasons too. So I'm glad that you brought that up, Frank. Yeah, it just seems like it kind of brings you back to a more primal state of mind hunting a bison with a bow. That's that's awesome, man. Did so so you got the bison on the ground, you guys are rolling it over, getting photos. Uh, tell us a bit about the uh, the breakdown process and how long did it take sure. you guys to, to get it broken down and, and what all did you use? Because I'm sure it was a, quite the task. So it probably took us, I bet, four or five hours, actually. Um, we were lucky and there was a road fairly close to the bison I could get the razor to. So we were able to, you know, both carry... Uh, I mean, a hindquarter isn't like a... You don't throw that in your pack, not on a bison. <laughs> <laughs> It's just a two-man deal, you know, carrying the thing. So I think it took three trips with my razor even once we got it to the razor to get it to my truck. Mm-hmm. Um, but I bet it was better of five hours. Um, what we had going for us is where the bison laid down, it kind of laid down almost perfect for a picture. We barely had to roll it at all. And we were lucky there because you're not maneuvering an animal like that, not when it's, you know, rigor mortis and... 
So we got lucky for good field photos. That the, and of course I had Dave, the professional photographer. You couldn't ask for a better photographer to get pictures of your animal. So that worked out great. Thanks, Dave. <laughs> Glad to be there. <laughs> Except when I had to pick up that hind quarter, which weighed more than me. <laughs> oh, it's insane. Yeah. Um, I mean, just to put the cape, remember? I mean, that was both of us just to get up into my bed of my truck. Yep. Um, you definitely don't want to be hauling one of those in your backpack too far. You know, you need a lot of people if you're going to be doing it. And I've heard a lot of people lose meat on the bison fairly quickly because their hide is so thick it holds the heat in. Mm. DWR this year actually gave over-the-counter bison tags for down there to get rid of some, which is unheard of. And I heard over 50% of the people lost the meat because they were out there so early in the year, which is pretty fat. Oh, wow. That's a shame. I know when we were, we were cutting that thing up and like the, the hide was so thick, you would have to sharpen your knife constantly. It was, it was really hard to get through. It was tough, really tough. I mean, basically you need a guy there sharpening on stop and switching between your, your Havilon or whatever type replaceable blade knife system you use. Um, I think we were mostly using bench maids and stuff, but yeah, I think we went through probably 30 packages of blades and I don't know how many times we sharpened our knives and it still wasn't enough. You just struggle through the whole thing. Uh, we did the gutless method where we basically just quartered it out, took the back straps, some of the rib meat, all the neck meat. There wasn't anything really left. Um, reached in and got the tenderloins, of course. But yeah, we did the gutless method and I just start spinning it back and I take the quarters, um, do one side, back strap, roll it over on the hide, keep it clean. And then I take the other quarters out, other side, back straps, tenderloins. And then all the neck meat. Um, the amount of neck meat on that thing is the size of a deer. I mean, it's pretty unbelievable how much meat you get off of there. I don't remember how many pounds it was total, uh, but I bet it was maybe 400 pounds, something like that, probably between the hamburger and the steaks and all that. That's the process. But yeah, easy five out, getting that thing back to the truck, um, which really doesn't seem like long. But that was, you know, a few people working on it, sore back, beat up. It took a toll on us. It was, you're fighting the sun, trying to get it out of there so it doesn't get too warm. Um, and I did end up losing some of the meat, the side he was laying on. Um, it went bad overnight, even in November, 20 degrees. And that's how much heat they can hold in. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of not a good deal, but I was able to salvage, you know, 70% of it. So that was good. Uh, we got that thing back to camp and I'm looking at Dave. I'm like, Dave, uh, I looked at a lot of the archery records, whatever, and I know lengths and kind of know mass measurements. And I put a string on the length, and I'm like, dude, it's like 19-something inches. And remembering back, I tell Dave, I'm like, I don't think there's one over 18 inches in the record book for Open Young. So we knew we had successful right then. Uh, we didn't know the state record yet, but we knew it was, it was going to score real well. I think what he had going for him is... He didn't broom off much. I mean, he was still pretty long, but he carried his mass all the way up through. Um, so, yeah, he scored really well. Just an absolute tank. Um, people ask me, too, how do you know if it's big or not, or how do you judge them? It's the hardest animal to judge that I have ever hunted as far as if you're looking at inches or whatever you want to do. It's not easy. They could have more hair than the other one and make it look smaller. Uh, half their horn is buried in, you know, four inches of hair. 
I guess that's why, you know, a lot of guys manscape. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Tallest tree in the forest. <laughs> yeah. That's a great point. <laughs> oh, damn. But yeah, it's real hard to pick. Yeah, he's, he's number one in Utah archery. Uh, what else? It was like number eight or something in the world taken with a bow? Number eight in the world, yep. Wow. Yeah, he was still top ten for the world. And uh, yeah, it was pretty pretty spectacular. Um, there's something to be said about long range shooting, and some people may say some things about that with my long shot. Um, my rebuttal to that is if you don't practice out to 100 yards all the time, I think you're doing yourself a disservice. It's not the type of shot you maybe want to take on your first shot at an animal, but having the capability of being able to shoot 100 plus for follow up shots is really important, if you ask me. And I was glad that I practiced so much long range with the bow because I was able to have them follow up shots that really helped me out. I don't know that I'd be able to get an arrow in them afterwards without, you know, shooting at that distance. So something to be said about, you know, the long range shooting with bow. Definitely good to have in your arsenal, and I think people should practice it more just for follow-up shots even. It's a little different for tree stand hunters, but anyone out in the West, I think, should definitely. And and really, who wants to sneak into 40 yards from a uh, an injured bison anyway, right? <laughs> Not me. <laughs> right. Yeah, I have an interesting story about that. That same blind, um, I seen a whole herd heading there one day earlier in the hunt, and... Uh, I think there's maybe 40 or 50 of minutes. So I haul butt over the blind. I get set up. And, of course, they're already across the flat. They can. It's crazy how quick they move. They don't look like they're moving quick, but those things are booking. Like, they travel. And uh, I'm sitting in the blind, and uh, I had my friend there, and I was like, hey, well, put one in the chamber just in case something crazy happens. Like, bring my back up. I doubt it will, but you never know, right? So... The herd comes in, and they came in from every side of the blind. They were almost rubbing my back as they walked by. And <laughs> you want to talk about being nervous? <laughs> Man. They'll get in the water. They're behind me. They're to the side of me. Um, and then you got the bigger bulls in there. Then they start getting fired up. Next, you know, they're goring each other. They're stomping all over. They're running into the blind. It was, uh, I looked over to my friend for my backup, and uh, they're curled up in a little ball at the bottom of the bush. That's how uh, nervous they got. They didn't even look. So I'm standing there, or sitting there on my knees, full draw. It's a huge herd. Can't get a shot. And, uh, I mean, they're right at the end of my arrow. It was insane. And it was super nerve-wracking. But to have that experience, like, made it all worth it. Everything. Even if I didn't get a bison, that one experience right there, being that close in the middle of them was really intense and fun. Uh, something you'll never forget. Yeah, that definitely no, sounds never. sounds super exhilarating. Um, yeah, I just I just wanted to circle back real quick to the long range shooting thing. I think we've we brought it up in the past before on the podcast, and it's um, you know even if 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 you're a person that doesn't agree with the long range shooting, you you brought up a good point that you should definitely practice at those ranges because I, in my opinion, I think that shooting long range definitely makes the the shorter shots that much easier. If you can hold a, and, and hit a like a uh, a Reinhardt target or a Matrix target at 100 yards, you know those those 40 and and under shots are just like a chip shot almost. If you can keep your composure. Oh, absolutely, I agree with that. But it isn't also funny sometimes how you can just 
nail 70, 80 yard shots with a killer group and then you go to 30 and it's falling apart. And you're like, I don't know if that's target panic, you know, that some people struggle with because you're so close. You're trying to hold on that little dot versus further off, you're more relaxed, you know, not trying to hold on such a small dot. I don't know. But it's kind of funny how that works too. Yeah, archery is a very interesting sport and a lot of a lot of mental part. There's a bit of a mental portion of it as well, I, I think. But um, also speaking about the people that hate on the long range shooting, I think that it's, it seems like it's pretty common for a lot of things on the internet where people will uh, put their um, abilities up against yours. You know that just because they can't shoot far, they think that you shouldn't as well. So I think that's that's pretty common on on the interwebs these days. Oh, absolutely, keyboard warrior. The long range, that's like, that fight will never go away. Yeah. It's never go away. You know, these people back east, the tree stand hunters, whatever, they don't ever have to shoot that far. There's no reason to, so why would they even think about it, right? It's just it's just that they just don't do it, and it makes sense. Why would you shoot 100 yards when he could be 30 yards under your tree in five minutes? But yep. even for them, I would think, you know, they should practice longer range too because you can always – Follow up a shot from your tree stand at the hunter, you know? But if you only have this little site that has four pins on it, goes out 60 yards, you're, you can't even do it if you want. And besides, shooting long range is fun. I mean, that, getting together with your buddies, shooting out the 120 yards, I mean, that's, it's fun. It's not only practice, it's fun. Heck yeah. Especially like Total Archery Challenge, going out to those, you know, those real life scenarios in the mountains and shooting steep angles, long distance, um, small targets, stuff like that is a lot of, a lot of fun. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So uh, for the listeners, uh, a little bit of the history uh, with Frank and myself. I, I met Frank in 2015. Uh, I drew a limited entry uh, elk tag, archery elk tag, and was just looking for some some people to help scout and uh, just hang out with and maybe help me out on my hunt. And, and Frank was one of, the, one of the few guys that decided, uh, you know, he'd lend a hand, took me out scouting, showed me some spots. Uh, I really got to know him, and he's such a great guy. Um, a few years later, actually you, you came and helped me pack out my bull, uh, or my cow that I shot, um, and search for a bull that I had hit. Yep. Yeah. 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 That was that same. You shot that cow down in that freaking bottom hole of the canyon. I'm like, what are you doing, Dave? <laughs> the cow. And he's like, well, Hey man, I had a bull. I shot the bull and then another cow. So I shot a cow. Why not? <laughs> Why not buddy? Yep. Let's do it. Do what you got to do. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and then uh, yeah, a couple of years later, um, I was going through a breakup with my my fiance at the time, and uh, I was looking for a place to live. I was trying to move out of my apartment really quickly, and uh, Frank offered up a room for me, and I I lived with him for a couple of years, and it was it was a really great situation, and uh, you know, got to re- meet a really great guy. Yeah, so thanks for that, Frank. Oh, absolutely. I would. You're welcome here anytime. Me and my little boy love you to death. So. Um, I don't think I've ever had a roommate or lived with someone in my life where I could honestly say, I don't mind having this guy here. Dave's so dang quiet and mellow so you wouldn't know he lives there anyway. You know what I mean? It's like, he just does his thing and we got along, we both have the same ideas, shared the same everything. So it just worked. It was fun. It was nice. Yeah, we, so, uh, I'm glad you were here. We did a podcast the other day with, about uh, choosing your hunting partners and it sounds like Dave's had some pretty darn good luck. I think you should, you should develop an app. I should develop an app. Like a, <laughs> <laughs> like a right swipe bromance. or a left swipe, you know? Like bromance. Yeah, uh, bromancehunter.com yeah. or yeah, something. Yeah. Um, that could be your big, 
Big, yeah, I've hunted with Frank too, and we've done some elk hunting and uh, done some deer hunting and stuff together. And um, uh, we were just talking last night about getting together and doing uh, either an elk or deer hunt out west, um, you know, Colorado, Wyoming, or something. Um, but yeah, he, you know, Frank was another guy that dropped everything and came up to help me pack stuff out too. Like a uh, couple, just what two, three years ago, you came up to help me pack out a bull. Yeah, it was a uh, year before this last one, right now. Yep. Yep. Um, well, I mean, you can only let out your secret spots to so many people, Dave, so you're kind of limited on who can help you, bud. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't trust many people with that information. Whenever somebody <laughs> asks you about a hunting spot, this is just what's playing in your mind. <laughs> <laughs> just no tell them, can Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah, I've, I've been talking to people in the past about general Wasatch Front elk spots, and it's like... I barely even say a little word about kind of by, you know, within maybe 10 miles, Dave's eyes get big and I get the dirty scalp. <laughs> there are no elk there. It's cool. No elk there. Well, you could be like Isaac and just say the, uh, the uh, Wasatch Front is, is restricted to residents only. Locals only. Yeah, locals right? only is what yep. he says. Yep. Right. yep. <laughs> I've never really had problem with out-of-state hunters on the Wasatch front. I really haven't. Um, you know, there's sometimes it gets busy around Thanksgiving during the rut going to, but I've had fairly good luck without getting messed up too bad on the front. Um, I was able to kill about a 170 bucks years ago with my bow on the front. And uh, that was another thing. My, my follow-up shot was 120 yards. And that's another perfect example. And that's what put him down for good. So, yeah, that's, love the Wasatch. It's tough. It's a tough hunt. It's a super tough hunt, but just, you know, the possibility or being able to hunt from August to through December is pretty amazing, really. Yeah. And I do the dedicated hunter here. That's kind of uh, basically you hunt all three seasons, muzzleloader, rifle, archery. You have to pay extra money, do a bunch of community service hours, and I do that just so I can hunt with a bow and guarantee a tag for three years. Anymore in Utah, you can't just get a general basic deer tag archery anymore it's getting pretty tough yeah i remember remember when i moved there you could buy them over the counter and within about two or three years uh it started to get more and more difficult more more people hunting and you still had to uh like buy it online to guarantee that you would get a deer tag archery deer tag and then now it's it's to the point where it's like one every once every other year every two years you can draw a tag so yeah that dedicated is a good idea I wanted to ask you, so you do a lot of woodworking, um, and it's particularly uh, like barn wood is what you like to do. Um, so some would say you like to play with old wood. Um. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah tell us yeah, a little man. bit about that. I mean, you, you built some awesome pedestals. You've done uh, contracting work uh, in the past. Tell, tell us about some of the work you've done and what that big project you were working on lately. Sure. Um, well, I kind of grew up as, you know, my father was a contractor, carpenter, so I've been doing carpentry, even mostly self-taught, since I was 14. I worked up at Snowbird for a number of years, and uh, I was one of the, you know, crazy guys jumping off huge cliffs and, uh, you know, going for the North American cliff record, which I ended up tying at one point, and it was 165 feet. But uh, I uh, worked up water? From- No, snow. Snowboarding? No. Skiing. Jesus. How does yeah. that feel on the landing? So, uh, that landing wasn't bad. I mean, there's a lot of calculations that go into it. Um, snow depth, 
gravitational density and the angle of the landing. You know, you don't want wow. 45 degrees or steeper, yada, yada. That landing wasn't bad. I think the worst part was like my arm kind of getting ripped out from my sides and hitting like the whiplash of my arm. Um, but other than that, I skied right out of it. It wasn't bad at all. So snow can be pretty soft if you play it right. Um, and if you got a set of balls, you can go pretty big. So that's what I did. I just had a huge adrenaline. I was a huge adrenaline junkie, you know. Uh, I did that for, I think, 12 years. Um, you know, it was in magazines and videos and all that fun stuff. And uh, my father got a hold of me. He wanted me to come help, you know, run his construction company. And uh, so I went ahead and did that for the next, you know, 12 years or so. Um, I couldn't ski anymore, so I decided, well, I better buy a dirt bike, right? That's a good idea. That'll get some, you know, some of my energy out. So I started racing motocross for a few years. And, uh, you know, I kind of hurt my back a little bit. Not a kid. I got to mellow out, and that's when I even started hunting more serious and more hard. That was kind of my outlet, fast fishing hunting. Um, with that being said, during that time, I also was doing barnwood uh, pedestals for taxidermy work, and uh, and I started that with my brother-in-law. Then we split up, and I started my own thing called uh, Trophy Woodcraft. And, uh, yeah, I started with pedestals mostly. For taxidermists. Um, since then, this year, um, I'm doing it full time now for about a year. And the last few months have really picked up. I just got done building a huge trophy room for a guy over here in Bluffdale. Uh, Sean Hayward is one of my buddies. And that dude's a straight killer. He's, I think they killed like three or four bucks, almost 200 inches this year. And, uh, I mean, Granted, he gets to go to some cool places, Mexico and whatever else, but that dude's a hunter, and it's been real fun to build a trophy room for him to display all his memories, all them giant deer. Um, what I do with the displays is it's not just barnwood, but I do all the big taxidermy rock, you know, with big, I didn't know how to explain it, you have to show a picture basically. Basically just a big habitat scene with the fake rock and the trees and tons of barnwood, and I built a bar. Um, but it's been really fun to like stay in the industry in a way with my barnwood work with the pedestals and now the building trophy rooms and game rooms. And I'm really fortunate that that's starting to take off for me. Um, and it looks like I'm looking at another job here uh, next week too for another big trophy room. So I'm hoping I can kind of slide into that area really. I know there's not very many people that have trophy rooms, but uh, you know, even if I get one or two jobs like that a year, it would be really fun to do. Mm-hmm. you know, along with barnwood work. So if anyone listening wants to check out some of your work, uh, where can they find that? So on Instagram, it's Trophy Woodcraft. Uh, Facebook is Trophy Woodcraft, or even just me, Frank Young, on Facebook. Uh, but Instagram is mostly where the main platform is, and it shows a lot of my work. Um, again, it was Instagram, Trophy Woodcraft. Give me a follow. Uh, if you need something barnwood done, uh, hit me up. I do... I even do home accent walls and furniture, and I've done some, you know, real big dining tables that are just gorgeous, coffee tables, all of the above. Mm-hmm. I really, really enjoy building them. Now, I, rem- I remember people uh, hitting you up and asking for custom, custom pieces. So, uh, a lot of times they can pick the wood, they can choose like the different style you build for the pedestal and all of that stuff. Um, and you're even, you even shipped some. Yeah, correct. Um, I've shipped all the way across the country as far as Florida, New York, 
Um, I have a lot going throughout the West, you know, up even to Washington, um, a whole bunch down in Arizona. Um, but yeah, I mean, I have multiple different woods. I don't do very many like oak or just hardwood finished stained stuff. I will occasionally, but I kind of leave that to the cabinet makers. I'm more of a custom reclaimed wood with character and history. And that's kind of how I base my things. There's some other guys that started building pedestals in the state too. Uh, you know, using a lot of my designs, and, and that's fine, great, uh, but there's a big difference, you know what I mean? Uh, if you look at the wood that I use and the character it has and the colors uh, and the attention to detail, there's a there's a pretty big difference there, and I pride myself in that, so I've really enjoyed it. But they could pick, you know, any of my different colors of barn wood, blue stained pine, um, any size they want, shape. And uh, I'm even going to start doing habitat, too, with, like, the rock work. And I also offer the big board just, like, cedar and juniper stumps and trees that people use for bases. Um, I have a good place that I go get them, and those things are just gorgeous trees. Um, so people don't have any idea how much what goes into one of them. Um, but there's times I'll put six, seven hours just stripping bark off of one and out of every nook and cranny just to show all the cracks and the cool character of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's something else that I do as well is the trees. So it's been fun doing that. Yeah, David showed me um, a few days ago or maybe it was last week or something, he showed me your most recent project, which I'm looking at on uh, Instagram right now. And that thing is insane, the amount of detail you have on that uh, on the on the rock work. It looks, it truly looks like a, like a cliff or something like that. So... Um, yeah, man. I mean, the the quality of your work is is awesome. I'm just scrolling through all of your photos and stuff. That's uh, looks like yeah, you, you definitely put 110 percent into everything. It's just it's amazing. Yeah, and uh, next couple of days I'm gonna get over there and uh, get some real good pictures of the whole thing. Now it's all finished, and I'll be posting those up soon. Uh, yeah, the rock work um, that what that does it starts out as a four by eight sheet of foam rock that's you know detailed and contoured like a rock. And basically, I just would do a wood framing, kind of the design I want the cliffs and the rocks to look like. And I just start breaking pieces of foam, screwing it to the wood until it forms kind of a rock. After that, you do, basically, it's just expanding foam. And you put that in all the cracks and the corners where all the seams are, basically. And after that, you get a little knife. You shape it, cut it off. And then you use something that's basically paper mache. Um, I would do paper mache, and I would add a little bit of black paint in it. Um, and then that's what you do the seams with, so you can't tell it was two pieces. And if you put it in right and you give it a texture, when you're done, you can't even tell where any of the pieces were put together. Um, I'd never done anything at that big of a scale, but it is pretty amazing what you can achieve watching YouTube. <laughs> um, I knew I could do it. I just hadn't before. And once I picked it up, it was relatively easy to get done. It was just very time-consuming. Um, after you get it all seamed, you spray the whole thing down with black paint. After that, I would get like a light pan, and I would brush on over the black about 95%, leaving all the black and all the cracks. And that's what gives it the depth that you can see on the rock. Um, and after that, I did three or four other colors, multiple layers, all with a brush, every nook and cranny, down to the very end where you do a real light color with 
with a dry brush almost and barely touch the tip. And that's what gives it the definition, and it looks like a real rock. Um, with the one you're talking about there, Frank, that's I kind of was aiming towards like southern Utah color rocks, like the red rocks. And uh, my client, Sean, he's going to have uh, his wife, Jamie, shot about a 370 bull this year, and they're going to have a full-body bull elk coming down that rock that you're looking at in the picture there, Frank. Wow. And I can't wait to get picture that one is done that's gonna be so cool yeah full body elk man of that size it's gonna be impressive that's badass yeah yeah this rock looks like just it looks so real um i'd love to see you get photos showing the scale so like you standing next to it to show how big this is uh it's an entire room it is the room is a thousand square feet i think it was like 50 feet by 20 something like that and uh the rock work, I built two barnwood build-outs about 30 feet apart, maybe three feet off the wall, and I think that was 15 feet high. And then joining them, I did a big bridge of rocks going over the top, and then the big rock work coming down the right side is kind of like a downhill where the elk's going to be coming down up on top. I have some little ramps and stuff for some sheep that are going to be going up there, and I'm really excited to see it all done with the animals on there because right now it's just some rocks and trees and whatever but the animals is what's going to bring it all together i'm excited to see that yeah it's a big project i remember seeing some of your stories where you're just showing like you know piece by piece as you're building this and just it's amazing to see it come together and look so realistic yeah i was i i, I surprised myself on this one day like, like i said <laughs> i don't smoke um i had my friend jeremy judkin is a really good taxidermist show me years ago how to build a rock and uh I kind of just took it from there, what I learned from that. And, yeah, the detail in the end, I, I surprised myself. Um, I had uh, Curtis, I guess, from Monarch Mountain Taxidermy. He's another real good taxidermist here in Utah. Um, he's one of my client's taxidermists. He went over there to check it out, and I guess he was pretty impressed, too, with, uh, you know, the rock work and stuff like that. So that, that felt good to know, you know, a master taxidermist gave me kudos on all that. So that definitely got me pretty stoked out here. I bet. So, uh, so what's next, man? You, you know, you got the uh, you got the state record bison under your belt. What, uh, what, what's your your big your big next uh, endeavor or hunt? He's also got a, another once in a lifetime animal that he shot, and it's a moose from Utah. Oh, nice. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I'm one of those super lucky hunt expo tag winners. Uh, I think it was 2015 or so. And I freaking drew a Wasatch Moose tag from the Hunt Expo. Each year I put in, what, 50 bucks, 100 bucks towards tag. And, yeah, I drew the moose tag. I, I mean, I didn't even know I drew it. My buddy texted me and he's like, you're the luckiest SOB I know. And I'm like, what are you even talking about? Well, I thought he heard that found out I was going Africa hunting the next year. So I'm like, oh, yeah. Well, it comes at a price. <laughs> and how lucky I and he's like, no, dude, you drew the moose tags. I'm like, what? So that was uh, pretty unbelievable. I'm not a lucky guy. I've never drawn a hunt out of luck ever. I've only ever drawn hunts in Utah if I got match points, you know. So to have that was pretty sweet. That moose hunt, um, that was right during when the moose population was declining in Utah. Um, but then again, I hunted my ass off preseason. I found two bulls that in, were no doubt going to be the next state record. And in my mind, it was already a done deal. It was going to happen with my bow, even though it was at any weapon hunt again. 
Um, I think I carried my rifle with me for three days. I left at home after that because every bull I called in, I could get to come in within 10 yards. Uh, moose hunting, that's, that's a fun hunt. Being able to call them in blindly, you know, I don't know how many times I was sitting there even with my buddy Jake Richards and I'm calling for moose, calling, calling down a canyon and my buddy Jake's like, Frank, look behind you. I'm sitting on a rock. Well, I didn't have to turn around very far and there's a bull basically drooling on my head looking at me a foot away. <laughs> wow. I just froze. I'm sitting down and yeah, he's towering over me and Jake's just looking at me with huge eyes like, well, what is happening right now? <laughs> uh, that was uh, that particular bull. He did not care that I was a human. All he cared about was that cow call I was doing. And even after he would leave 10 minutes later and I'd start calling it, he would come right back. Uh, he was pretty persistent, that bull was, but it was quite the experience to turn my head and have that moose towering over me. I mean, his head was over the top of me. His feet were right on my back, and I'm just like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and the wind wasn't, he couldn't smell me. The wind was going the other way. Um, but moose, yeah, they're, they're definitely more mellow creatures. I would say it's definitely easier to get close to a moose than a bison by 10 times. Wow. Um, so with that being said, that year I found them two bulls. They were giant. Um, one was, you know, a three-hour hike in, basically a six-hour round trip. That's if you only go to the one particular spot where he is. And the day before the hunt, he disappeared. He, he shed his velvet and was gone forever. Uh, pretty disappointed there, but I figured I'd turn him up, right? Never happened. Um, I hunted him for quite a while, along with another one that I had. Um, on Timpanogos, and uh, that one as well, I knew he disappeared the day before because I walked down where I saw him last, and you could see where he shed his velvet two days before, and then he was gone. I watched some of these bulls, their nose go up in the air, and they just start walking in a straight line, and I seen some go five, six miles across mountain ranges, and they're still going. So... That hunt ended pretty well. I hunted 16 days solid, every day, hiking, mostly solo. Um, and I think it was day 16, I was getting so wore out. It was, this was a, it was a brutal hunt as far as hiking and mentally, all of it. I was also filming it as well, which was kind of tough. And uh, day 16, I was up Harley's Canyon. No secret, I brought a moose up there. And... Uh, Went up to this lake up there, way up top, and started calling for maybe a half hour, which I normally do. Then I'll hang out for a half hour, an hour. I have too much patience, so an hour is good for me. Then I go over the hill, and I start calling there. I did that back and forth maybe three times over the four hours. And the third time, I came back to the lake after calling and saw the bull that I ended up harvesting. And uh, he was... I knew he's mature. That that was my goal at that point, at least. Um, I'd only been seeing two three-year-old bulls. I think I called in 35 different bulls during my hunt, and they were all two, three years old. And that's when I kind of started realizing that Utah is definitely having an issue. You know, there's no mature bulls. They're rare. Um, they're getting that type of disease. I forget what it was, but it's really taking a number on the population here. The bull I shot was, ended up being 12 years old. I think he was like 48 wide, which is pretty wide for a shire. Um, and of course he had regressed. Uh, he still made Pope and Young. Um, 
those are guys that love the numbers. Uh, <laughs> but that was a tough hunt, man. It was a, that was a freaking tough hunt. It was so hard to freaking find a old bull. And like I said, day 16, finally, it wasn't the bull I really wanted. But the fact that he was a 12-year-old bull and really wide and had decent fronts, I was like, I can't. I can't not take it. And uh, that turned out pretty well. It was a couple good shots, and he went down fairly quick. So that was a real exciting hunt. Um, that hunt opened the door for me in a few different areas. I met my good friend James Bonham, who was a prime rep at the time, and uh, he had a moose tag too. We had talked, but only so much. You know, you only give this other guy so much info, right? <laughs> but after seven days, we both called each other and was like, damn, dude, this is tough. This is harder than we thought. So we decided we'd help each other out to a point. Um, James asked me where I had been, asked him where he'd been. Um, that's when he told me, he goes, okay, I'm not going anywhere near where you've been because I know how you hike and know how you do it. So you just tell me where you haven't been, that's where I'll go. <laughs> uh, fast forward, killed my bull, and uh, I think James had a few days left his hunt, and one of my friends called me, gave me a lead on a good bull, and uh, we went up there, and I was able to call that bull in for James with his little boys. He had all of his little boys with him and everything, um, set up behind me with the camera. It was like a dream comes true for James, too, because it just came out in this opening at 20 yards, all on film, kids there. It was everything you wanted, you know, after waiting 22 years. And it was a beautiful bull, too. So, uh, But that opened the door with, you know, new friendships and, you know, some possibilities with working with prime bows, uh, which I've shot ever since. And I just, I love their bows. They fit me so well, and I shoot them so well. Uh, that was a really cool hunt. It was just, I met a lot of cool people and spent a lot of time on the mountain solo, you know, kind of finding myself and just working hard, working really hard. And I enjoy that. I get satisfaction out of that. Especially when you get the reward. Yeah, I think uh, that's kind of a, a common trait for a lot of the guests that we have on the uh, on the podcast. Just the uh, the will to uh, accomplish your goal and and just a simple fact of not giving up and unless you run out of you know unless you run out of time in the season, um, just persevering through all the all the hardships and, and staying motivated. And um, <clears throat> what do you think? Uh, what what do you think helps you with the mental toughness? Because um, that sounds like a grinder of a hunt. Sixteen days is a long time. Yeah, I think I think what helped is knowing that those couple bulls were out there somewhere, and knowing there's some big bulls. Um, and something else that really kept me going is I'd have a lot of people hit me up say, "Hey, dude, I saw a giant bull here." Um, the funny thing I found out pretty quick <laughs> with James is people don't know what a big bull is. Everybody thinks. A uh, moose bull is big, and it's like okay, so it's big. But what does that mean? Does that have big paddles? Does that? Well, I don't know. It was just big. A lot of times they were like two-year-old bulls, three-year-old bulls, and but that kept me going. You know, these little leads that I would sometimes check on, and other than that, it was just me knowing it was a once-in-a-lifetime shot, and uh, that I had to do my best to try to find an old, mature moose. And that's what I always do. I mean, I eat tag soup all the time. I'd rather shoot something mature. It doesn't have to be inches, but I'd like it to be mature at least. You know, you're outsmarting an old animal that's outsmarted other hunters for a lot of years, and it's quite the reward. Yeah, that's awesome, man. That sounds like you uh, definitely put in the work. And uh, yeah, James, speaking to James Bonham, yeah, he's been a he's been a friend of ours for a number of years, and great dude. And he uh, 
he definitely opened the door for us with uh, Prime. We've shot Prime on and off over the years, and yeah, what a what a, mm-hmm. good, a good guy that guy is, man. I, I'm, I yeah, really like yeah. James. The Barnum, good people for sure. Uh, we're still good friends now, and probably always will be. So uh, it, it's amazing the friendships and lifelong friends that you make in the hunting industry. Um, it's a big industry, but at the same time, it's also really small, um, and there's a lot of really good people in it. So I'm, I'm fortunate to work in it and live in it and just be a part of it. I really appreciate you guys having me on, too. Um, talk about my work and my hunts, and I really enjoyed it. So thank you, guys. Yeah, it's been awesome, man. It's been a pleasure as well. Um, yep, we're coming up on an hour now. So, uh, yeah, we thank you very much for coming on, man. It was a, that flew by. That was a lot of fun, and it was great hearing your stories. And uh, David is definitely right. You're, you sound like a top-notch guy. I really appreciate it, Frank. I uh, hope to meet you here soon when I come visit Dave one of these days. Yep, yep, sounds good, man. We'll yeah. go, we'll go shotgun some beers. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, right if you on. ever, anytime you come to Utah, you got a place you can stay if you want, hunt, whatever. So <laughs> sounds good. Yeah, my man. door's always open. For you. Awesome. Right on. Well, thanks, Frank, and uh, thanks everybody for listening. And we will uh, catch you next time. Thanks, guys. All right, see ya.